Brothers and sisters, children of God, welcome back to Jack the Bridge. Uh, I wanted to 
provide a couple of notes before I begin this reading. First of all, uh, I'd like to ask and beg for your pardon in case any abrupt transitions are too dissonant, um, whether it's going from some kind of lead-in music or whether it's an editing transition. And sometimes I, when it's a change of character, I actually do take a break uh, if there is if there is that um, solid a transition or or that that we want contrast, it seems to help to have contrast in in those moments on occasion. Of course, I can't be completely objective. Um, and as far as content, even more so, this is a translation of. Nikos Katzenzakis' book, originally written in Greek. Uh, the translation was published in 1960. The translation is by P-A-B-N, last name spelled B-I-E-N. The actual book is one of the newest pieces of literary work that I'll be reading in the course of what I do read to you. Uh, this one, uh, this copy is kind of an oversized paperback, as I may have mentioned before, roughly 500 pages, and it's just got a disintegrated binding on it. I mean disintegrated and held together with scotch tape, layered up, scaled up, um, and, uh, I actually, whenever I move this book and it doesn't move far, I put it in a bag if I'm going to leave the building if, that, uh, that I live in with this book. Um, you know, uh, an old book makes me think of not to get too parabolic, but an old book like an old person who still has wisdom, it is the book itself to me is, is like an elder in, in my hands. Uh, of course, this one just rattled, just, just busted. But all the words, they haven't lost their virility or vitality whatsoever, as long as I keep this in order. And uh, it kind of reminds me of my old buddy, who I have, was mentioned in prayer. His skeleton, his, his upper body is very broken. And he broke several ribs all on one side and his collarbone. And it, these types of things lead to other complications. And some of you who are, who are older than I am know that better through experience than I do. Um, Interestingly enough, and maybe not so ironically, probably a week, 10 days after my friend was injured in a, in a bad fall. And I mean, this fall was like a one inch punch. Some of you probably know the famed Bruce Lee one inch punch. And 
whereas the the activity is not so evident. There's not so much motion, almost no range in it, but its impact is quite phenomenal. Well, I'm thankful that this this injury that my friend incurred that there was not any velocity in the then not serious velocity in the mechanism of the injury because it on top of puncturing a lung it would have done other organ damage surely um but thankful to say my friend was he called me last night from the hospital and um I pray that he can mend. And one thing is so for this man, he's, he's been broken before and it's, it, I think his attitude is significantly better than one would be for someone who had not really had their body broken in any way whatsoever. Someone who had led a very sheltered, um, spectator spectator's existence and that's certainly not what this friend of mine has has lived in his time with all his stories and his wisdom so moving forward let's take it to the bridge chapter 16 Streets, rooftops, courts, squares, Jerusalem was entirely clothed in green. It was the great autumn festival, and the Jerusalemites had constructed thousands of tents and olive and vine branches, palm boughs, pine and cedar as prescribed by the God of Israel in remembrance of the 40 years which their forefathers had spent under tents in the wilderness. The harvest and vintage were finished. The year had ended and the people had suspended all their sins around the neck of the black, well-fed billy goat and stoning him had chased him out into the desert Now they felt greatly relieved. Their souls were purified. A new year had begun, and God had opened a new ledger. And for eight days they would eat and drink under the green tents and sing the glories of the God of Israel, who blessed the harvest and the vintage and also sent them the billy goat to bear the sins. He, too, was a God-sent Messiah, He bore all the sins of the people, perished of hunger in the desert, and with him perished their sins. The wide courtyards of the temple overflowed with blood. Every day, flocks of burnt offerings were slaughtered. The holy city stank from the smell of meat, dung, and drippings. The sacred air echoed with horns and trumpets. The people overate overdrank, and their souls grew heavy. The first day was all psalms, prayers, and prostrations, and Jehovah, invisible, strode joyously into the tents and celebrated too, eating and drinking with his lips and wiping his beard. But starting with the second and third days, the excessive meat and wine went to the heads of the people, 
The dirty jokes and the laughter and the bawdy tavern songs began. And men and women coupled shamelessly in broad daylight. At first within the tents and then openly in the roads and on the green grass. In every neighborhood, the celebrated prostitutes of Jerusalem appeared plastered with makeup and smeared with aromatic oil. The simple farmers and fishermen who had come from the ends of the land of Canaan to adore the holy of holies fell into these accomplished arms and were amazed. They had never dreamed that a kiss could involve such art and such savor. Holding his breath, Jesus strode hurriedly, angrily through the streets and over the dead drunk people who were rolling on the ground. The smells of filth and the shameless guffawing nauseated him. Quickly, quickly, he exhorted his companions. Holding his right arm around John and his left around Andrew, he proceeded. But Peter was continually halting, encountering pilgrims from Galilee who offered him a glass of wine, a bite to eat, and engaged him in conversation. He would call Judas. Jacob would come too. They did not wish to give grounds for complaint to any of their friends, but the three in front were in a hurry. They continually called the tarriers and made them start out again. Good God, the teacher won't let us breathe freely like human beings, grumbled Peter, who had already fallen into a gay mood. What have we got ourselves into? And where have you been all this time, my poor Peter, said Judas, shaking his head. Do you think we've come here to have a good time? Do you think we're going to a wedding? While they were running, they heard a hoarse voice from one of the tents. Hey, Peter, son of Jonah, you lousy Galilean, you pass by. We practically knock our heads together and you don't even notice. Stop a minute and have a drink. It'll clear your sight and you'll be able to see me. Peter recognized the voice and stopped. Hello, nice to bump into you, Simon, you filthy Cyrenian. He turned to his two companions. Lads, this time we can't escape. Let's stop and have a drink. Simon is a famous drunkard, keeper of celebrate of a celebrated inn near the gate of David. He deserves to be hanged and to have his head impaled on a stake. But he's a nice fellow all the same, and we ought to do him the honor. And truly, Simon was a good fellow. In his youth, he had shipped out from Cyrene and opened a tavern. And every time Peter came to Jerusalem, he put up at his house. The two of them ate and drank, talked, joked, sometimes broke out into a song, sometimes into a brawl, became friends again, drank some more, and then Peter would wrap himself up in a thick blanket, lie down on a bench and fall asleep. Simon was sitting now under his tent of entwined vine branches, a jug under his arm and a bronze cup in his hand. He was drinking all by himself. The two friends embraced. They were both half drunk. 
and each felt so much love for the other that his eyes filled with tears. After the initial shouts and hugs and repeated toasts were over, Simon began to laugh. I, I bet my bones you're on your way to get baptized, he said. You're doing the right thing. I give you my blessing. The other day, I was baptized myself, and I don't regret it. It's quite satisfying. And have you noticed any improvements? Asked Judas, who was eating, not drinking. His mind was full of thorns. What can I say to you, my friend? It's been years since I was in the water. Water and iron, that sword's points. I'm made for wine. Water is for toads. But the other day I said to myself, look here, why not go and get baptized? The whole world is going, and it's certain that among the newly enlightened, there will be a few who drink wine. They can't all be imbeciles. So I'll be able to make a few acquaintances and hook some clients. Everyone knows my tavern at the David Gate. Well, so make a long story short, I went. The prophet is a savage, untamed beast. How can I describe him? Flames fly out of his nostrils. God protect me. He grabbed me by the neck and dunked me into the water. Up to my beard, I screamed. He was going to drown me, the infidel, but I survived, came out, and here I am. And have you noticed any improvement? Judas repeated. I swear to you by my wine that the bath did me a lot of good. Yes, a lot of good. I felt relieved. The Baptist says I was relieved of my sins, but... Just between you and me, I think I was relieved of a few grease spots because when I came out of the Jordan there, there was a film on top of the water an inch deep. (laughs) He burst out laughing, filled his cup, drank, and then Peter and Jacob drank too. He refilled his cup and turned to Judas. And you, blacksmith, don't you drink? It's wine, you blessed idiot, not water. I never Drink, answered the red beard, pushing away the cup. Simon's eyes popped. Are you one of them? He asked in a low voice. Yes, one of them, said Judas. And with one flourish of his hand, he cut the conversation short. Two painted women passed, stopped for a moment, and winked at the four men. Nor women, Simon asked, bewildered. Nor women, Judas again dryly replied. What then, poor fellow, shouted Simon, who could bear this no longer. Why did God make wine and women, can you tell me? To while away his own time or for us to while away ours? At that moment, Andrew came up. At a run. Come quickly, he shouted. The teacher is in a hurry. What teacher? asked the innkeeper. The one dressed all in white, the barefooted one? Three companions had already left, and Simon, the Cyrenian, standing disconcerted outside the tent, the, the empty cup still in his hand and the jug under his arm, watched them and shook his head. 
This must be another Baptist, another lunatic. Bah! They've been sprouting up lately like mushrooms. Let's drink to his health, he said, filling the cup. May God give him some sense. Meanwhile, Jesus and the companions had reached the great courtyard of the temple. Halting, they washed their hands, feet, and mouths in order to enter the temple and worship. They glanced quickly around them, tears, one after the other, all crowded with men and animals, well-shaded arcades, columns of white and blue marble girded with golden vine branches and grapes, and on every side, sheds, tents, carts, money changers, Barbers, wine sellers, butchers, the air resounded with shouts, brawls, and laughter. And the house of the Lord stank from sweat and filth. Jesus put his palm over his nose and mouth. He looked all around him, but God was nowhere. I hate I despise your festivities. I am nauseous from the stench of the fatted calves you slaughter for me. Take away from me the tumult of your psalms and your lutes. It was no longer the prophet nor God, but the heart of Jesus, which was upside down and crying out. Suddenly he felt faint. Everything disappeared. The heavens opened, and an angel with hair of fire rushed forth, his feet lashing out into the air with smoke and flames rising from the air of his head. He climbed onto a black rock in the middle of the courtyard and pointed his sword toward the proud gold-saddled temple. Jesus staggered. He steadied himself on Andrew's arm, opening his eyes. He saw the temple of the noisy people. The angel had hidden himself in the great light, and Jesus extended his arms toward his companions. Forgive me, he said, but I cannot last. I shall faint. Let us go. Without worshiping, said Jacob, scandalized. We worship within ourselves, Jacob, said Jesus. Each of our bodies is a temple. They left. Judas went in the lead, tapping his stick on the ground. He can't endure filth, blood, and shouting. He was thinking he isn't the Messiah. A wild, throbbing Pharisee stretched out face down on the last step of the temple was ravenously kissing the marble and bellowing. Thick strings of talismans, stuffed and terrifying texts from the scripture hung around his neck and arms. Repeated prostrations had made his knees calloused like a camel's, and his face, neck, and breast were covered with open, running wounds. Every time this tempest of God threw him down, he would seize sharp stones and mutilate himself. Andrew and John quickly stepped in front of Jesus so that he would not see the Pharisee. Peter came up to Jacob and leaned over to his ear. You know, you know him. He's Jacob, the oldest son of the carpenter. He makes his round selling talismans, and every two minutes his evil spirit takes hold of him, and he rolls on the ground and literally murders himself. Is he the one 
who's haunting the master so ravenously? Asked Jacob, stopping for a moment. Yes, he says he's a disgrace to their house. They went out to the gold door of the temple, passed through the Cedron Valley, and began to march toward the Dead Sea. On their right, they passed the garden in the olive tree of Gethsemane. The sky above them was white and burning. They reached the Mount of Olives. The world had sweetened a bit. Light dripped from every leaf of the olive trees. Flocks of crows dashed, one after the other, toward Jerusalem. Andrew, his arm around Jesus, was speaking about his former master, the Baptist. The closer he came to his lair, the more he breathed in, with terror, the prophet's leonine breath. He is a veritable Elijah. He rushed down from Mount Carmel to heal man's soul once more with fire one night. With my own eyes, I saw the fiery chariot circle over his head. Another night, I saw a crow bring in its beak a lighted coal for him to eat. One day, I took courage and asked him, Are you the Messiah? He shook as though he'd stepped on a snake. No, he answered with a sigh. I am the ox who draws the plow. The Messiah is the seed. Why did you leave his side, Andrew? I wanted to find the seed. Have you found it? Andrew pressed Jesus' hand to his heart and then blushed violently. Yes, he answered. But he spoke so softly that Jesus did not hear. They descended slowly, out of breath, toward the Dead Sea. The sun poured flames over them until their heads rattled. In front of them, the mountains of Moab towered higher and higher, an arid wall. Behind them, lime white, were the mountains of Edomia. The road wound and descended more and more, and they were entering a deep well, and they all held their breath. We're going down to the inferno they were all thinking, and they could smell the tar and brimstone. The light blinded them. They groped their way forward, their feet lacerated, their eyes burning. They heard bells, two camels, but mirages melted away in the violent heat. I'm afraid, whispered Zebedee's younger son, this is the inferno. Courage. Andrew answered him, haven't you heard that paradise is at the heart of the inferno? Paradise, you'll see shortly. The sun finally went down. The mountains of Moab turned dark purple. The mountains of Adumia, pink, bringing comfort to the eyes of men. Suddenly, a twist in the road, the sight was refreshed, their sight on their bodies, as though they had stepped into cool water. What were those unexpected meadows directly in front of them, right in the sand? What were those waters which chuckled, and the pomegranates charged with fruit, and the white, shaded cottages? The air was suddenly perfumed with jasmine and rose. Jericho! Andrew shouted happily. They have the sweetest dates in the whole world here. And the most miraculous roses, if they wither, 
All you do is dip them in water and they revive. The night fell abruptly. The first lamps had already been lighted. To travel, watch the darkness fall, arrive in a village, see the first lamps lighted and have nothing to eat nor anywhere to sleep and to let everything depend on God's grace and the goodness of men. This, I think, is one of the greatest and purest joys in the world, said Jesus, stopping to enjoy fully his holy moment. The village dogs scented the strangers and began to bark. The doors opened, lighted lamps appeared, searched the darkness, and then returned inside. The companions went to all the doors, knocked, were cheerfully offered here a slice of bread or a pomegranate and a handful of grapes or of green olives. They amassed all these alms from God and man, reclined in the corner of an orchard, ate and immediately fell asleep. And all night long in their dreams, they heard the desert shifting, lulling them to sleep like the sea. But Jesus, in his sleep, heard trumpets. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. It was nearly midday when the companions, deathly pale, their tongues hanging out, reached the accursed Dead Sea. Fish that had descended the current of the Jordan perished as they touched it. The few squat trees on its banks were like hanging, standing bones. The water was leaden, thick, motionless. If you were pious and you leaned over it, you could see two rotted whores, Sodom and Gomorrah, embracing on the bottom. Jesus got up on a rock and gazed into the distance, desolation, the earth was burning, and the mountains had melted away. He took Andrew by the arm and asked him, Where is John the Baptist? I see no one. No one. Over there, behind the reeds, Andrew replied, The river becomes calm. The water forms a pool, and the prophet baptizes. Let's go find him. I know the way. You're tired, Andrew. Stay with the others. I'll go by myself. He's savage. I'll accompany you, Rabbi. I want to go by myself, Andrew. Stay here. He started toward the reeds, his heart pounding strongly. He placed his hands over it and patted it to make it calm. A new flock of crows appeared from the desert and flew hurriedly toward Jerusalem. Suddenly, he heard someone walking behind him, and he turned. It was Judas. You forgot to call me, said the red beard, smiling caustically. This is the most difficult hour, and I want to be with you. Come, Jesus said. They went forward silently, Jesus in front, Judas behind. They pushed aside the reeds and plunged their feet into the lukewarm river slime. A black snake gave a start, slid onto a rock and lifted its head and neck. It looked at them with its tiny cunning eyes and hissed, half its body glued to the rock, half standing erect. Jesus stopped for a moment and waved his hands amic amicably at the snake, as though bidding it welcome. Judas lifted his oaken club, but Jesus put out his arm and restrained him. 
Don't hurt it, Judas, my brother, he said. It too does its duty in biting. The heat was roaring in the south. Wind which blew from the Dead Sea carried a heavy stench of rotting carcasses. Jesus now began to hear a wild, hoarse voice. Now and then he was able to distinguish a few words. Fire! Axe! Barren tree! And then louder. Repent! Repent! All at once, a large multitude burst into shouts and wailing. Jesus went forward slowly, craftily, as though approaching the cave of a wild beast. He pushed aside the reeds. The noise increased. Suddenly, he bit his lips to prevent himself from screaming, for there he was standing on his reed-like legs upon a rock which rose above the waters of the Jordan. He was a man, a locust, the angel of hunger, or the archangel of revenge. Wave after wave of bellowing men broke upon the rocks, Ethiopians with painted fingernails and eyelashes, Chaldeans with thick brass rings in their noses, Israelites with raw, long, greasy sideburns, frosting, frothing at the mouth, the south wind shaking him like a reed. The Baptist was shouting, Repent! Repent! The day of the Lord has come! Roll on the ground! Bite the dust! Hell! The Lord of hosts had said, on this day, I shall command the sun to set at noon. I shall crush the horns of the new moon and spill the darkness over heaven and earth. I shall reverse your laughter, turn it into tears, and your songs into lamentation. I shall blow, and all your finery, hands, feet, noses, ears, hair, will fall to the ground. Judas strode forward and took Jesus by the arm. Do you hear? Do you hear? Look, that's how the Messiah speaks. He is the Messiah. No, Judas, my brother, Jesus answered. He who holds the axe and opens the way for the Messiah speaks in that way, but the Messiah does not. He bent down broke off a sharp green leaf and passed it between his teeth. He who opens the way is the Messiah, the red beard growled. He pushed Jesus in order to make him emerge from the weeds and show himself. Move ahead. Let him see you now, he ordered. He will judge. Jesus came out into the sunlight, took two hesitating steps, stumbled and stopped, his eyes glued to the prophet. His whole soul had become a gaze, which explored the prophet, ran over his reed-like legs and up his fiery head, and then still higher to the full, invisible stature. The Baptist's back was turned. He felt the vehement stare ransacking his entire body, grew angry, swung completely around, and half-closed his two round hawk-like eyes in order to see better 
Who was this silent, motionless young man dressed all in white and staring at him somewhere, sometime? He had seen him, but where? When? He struggled in agony to remember. Could it have been in a dream? He often dreamed of about men dressed similarly, all in white. They never talked to him, but simply stared and waved their hands as if greeting him or saying goodbye. Then the cock of the dawn would crow and they would turn into light and disappear. Suddenly, the Baptist, still looking at him, cried out. He remembered one day exactly at noon he had lain down on the bank of the river and taken out the prophet Isaiah written on a goatskin. All at once, stones, water, people, reeds, and river vanished. The air filled with fires, trumpets, and wings. The words of the prophet opened like doors, and the Messiah stepped forth. He remembered that he was dressed all in white, thin, gnawed by the sun, barefooted, like this man. He held a green leaf between his teeth. The ascetic's eyes filled with joy and fear. He tumbled down from his rock and approached, stretching forth his gnarled neck. Who are you? Who? he asked his terrible voice trembling. Do you know me? Jesus said. Advancing one more step, his own voice was trembling. He knew that his fate depended on the Baptist's reply. It's him. Him, the Baptist was thinking. His heart thumped furiously and he could not, dared not decide. Once more, he stretched forward his neck. Who are you? He asked again. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus answered him in a voice, sweet yet complaining as though he were scolding him. Haven't you read the prophets? What does Isaiah say? Forerunner, don't you remember? Is it you? Is it you? Whispered the ascetic. He put his hands on Jesus' shoulders and examined his eyes. I have come, Jesus said, hesitatingly, then stopped, unable to breathe, unable to continue. It was as if he were putting forth his foot and searching to see whether or not he could take a further step without falling down. The savage prophet leaned on top of him and examined him silently. He wondered if he had ever heard the wonderful, terrifying words which had escaped Jesus' lips. I have come, the son of Mary repeated, so softly that not even Judas, who was on the alert behind them with cocked ear, could hear. This time the prophet gave a start. He had understood. What? He said, and the hairs of his head stood on end. A crow passed over them and uttered a hoarse cry like that of a drowning man who was mocking something or laughing. The Baptist became angry. He bent over to pick up a stone and throw it at the bird. 
The crow had flown away, but he continued to look for it, rejoicing in the passage of time. But in this way, his mind gradually grew calm, rising, he said tranquilly, Welcome. He looked at him, but there was no love in his eyes. Jesus' heart shook. Were his ears jangling, or was it true that the prophet had been him welcome? If true, how astonishing, how joyous, how frightening. The Baptist glanced around him, swept his eyes over the river Jordan, the reeds, and the people who, kneeling in the mud, were openly confessing their sins. He hurriedly embraced his kingdom and bid it farewell. Then he turned to Jesus. Now I can depart. Not yet, forerunner. First, you must baptize me. Jesus' voice had become sure, decisive. I, you, you're the one who must baptize me, Lord. Don't talk so loud. They might hear us. My hour has not yet come. Let us go. Judas was straining his ears to hear, but he made out only a murmur, a joyous dancing murmur, as though from the union of two streams of running water. The crowd which had assembled on the shore made way. Who was this pilgrim who, having thrown off his white robe, was clothed in sunlight? Who was this man who, without confessing his sins, entered the water with such nobility and assurance? The Baptist in the lead, they both thrust their way into the blue stream. The Baptist climbed onto a rock which jutted out above the face of the water. Jesus stood next to him on the sandy river bed, the water embracing his body up to the chin. The moment the Baptist lifted his hand to pour water over Jesus' face and to pronounce the blessing, the people cried out. The flow of the Jordan had abruptly ceased. Schools of multicolored fish floated up from every direction, circled Jesus, and began to dance, folding and unfolding their fins and shaking their tails, and a shaggy elf in the form of a simple old man entwined with seaweed rose up from the bottom of the river, leaned against the reeds, and with mouth agape and eyes popping from joy and fear, stared at all that was going on in front of him. The people viewing such wonders were stricken dumb. Many fell face down on the shore to hide their eyes. Others shivered in the violent heat. One, seeing the old man emerge from the deep, all covered with mud, shouted, The Spirit of the Jordan! and fainted. The Baptist filled a deep shell and with trembling hand began to pour water over Jesus' face. The servant of God is baptized, he began, but he stopped. He did not know what name to give. He turned to ask Jesus, but just as everyone stretched on tiptoe expected to hear the name 
Wings were heard to descend from the heavens and a white feathered bird. Was it a bird? Or one of Jehovah's seraphim darted forward and balanced itself on the head of the baptized. It remained motionless for several moments, then suddenly circled three times above him. Three wreaths of light glowed in the air, and the bird uttered a cry as though proclaiming a hidden name, a name never heard before. The heavens seemed to be answering the Baptist's mute question. The people's ears buzzed, their minds reeled. There were words together with the beating of wings. The voice of God? The voice of the bird? It was a strange miracle. Jesus tensed his whole body trying to hear. He had a presentiment that here was his true name, but he could not distinguish what was his All he heard were many ways breaking within him, many wings and great, bitter words. He raised his eyes. The bird had already bounded toward the summit of the heavens and become light within the light. The Baptist, whose years in the desert and in cruel solitude had enabled him to master the language of God, was the only one who understood. Today is baptized. He whispered to himself, trembling, the servant of God, the son of God, the hope of all mankind. He signaled the waters of the Jordan to resume their flow. The sacrament was over. And that concludes... Chapter 16. So, wherever you are, and whatever you find yourself doing today, always know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I do too. For he shall reign forever and ever. Have a wonderful day. Bye. River, river, run free, run down on me. A mighty river, river run free, right down on me. I was walking on down that lonesome road, just moving on down. And I was saying to myself, boy, where are you running to? For the last time I looked around. It had come to me The answer is not just blowing in the wind It's in the roots of the trees The lessons are there Of one to see The problem lies in noticing Just noticing You don't have to 
Watch that river flow on by and by. 